You like podcasts, right, Valley Boy? Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivion, your podcast for discussions on films that are old, weird, out of date, out of style, out of fashion, or in this case, just, you know, really gnarly and bitching. Uh, I am your host for today's episode, every episode, I'm sorry, uh, James Eldred, and who's back with me today? Uh, this is Alex Navarro from Nextlander, your resident thrasher. Yes, Alex, thank you so much for coming back. I'm happy to do it, especially for such a, such a, a steamed film. Yes, very esteemed. So, as I was telling Alex earlier, like, you know, the last few episodes I've done have been pretty movies that are not exactly friendly or fun. Well, darker. Fun, darker, darker. And then, you know, Diamond came on, and they were great to do the episode with about Class of 84. And then a bunch of terrible things happened. And I don't want that to happen again. So, today we're talking about thrashing. Which is a 1986 skateboarding film. And Alex, you, you gave me like a short list of movies you were interested in talking about. And this was one of them. Why is that? Uh, so it's a couple of things. I've, I, I have seen this movie before, but it had been something like 20 years since I'd actually sat down to watch it, if not longer. So I was like, this is as good an opportunity to do that as any. And I was in my misbegotten youth, uh, a skate teen. No, it, my my youth was the 90s, not the 80s, but, you know, I definitely hung around with a lot of skaters, was kind of steeped in the 90s skateboarding culture, and by proxy of that, you know, knowing kind of the history of 80s skating culture, uh, and, you know, I mean, I was an atrocious skateboarder, let me just put this <laughs> out there right now, couldn't do shit on a board, but... You know, I, I had the aesthetic at least, and I did tool around on a board a fair amount with my friends. And I love skating. I just I love the whole thing, despite the fact that I am universally terrible at it. I have always well, enjoyed it. And even the the weird artifacts from the culture like this one. Well, you're better than me because you have two functioning legs and I don't. Um because when I was a kid I broke my leg and it's never been the same. But I was way into skate like eighties skateboarding culture, like I was fascinated by it as a little kid. Like, I think Skate or Die was a formative experience for me. Definitely. Um, and the skateboarding in Back to the Future. My brother had a Back to the Future skateboard, which was pretty rad. And I had a skateboard that had a scooter handle on it. <laughs> okay. So it was it was kind of like, a, you know, just in case you kind of can't balance just on the board, here's an extra thing for you. Not just in case. Uh, okay, fair we, enough. It, it was detachable. And whenever we detached it, I detached my head almost. So we left it on. And then about... I want to say like six years ago in Tokyo, I was like, because people just skateboard here for trap for transportation a lot. Mm-hmm. You'll see them on the you know, on the sidewalk, and I'm like, I'm gonna try that again. And so that was a, that was a, that was a midlife crisis to be like in my late thirties and like I'm gonna pick up skateboarding. Damn near killed myself. 
And um, when I was moving out of my last apartment, it was a mess. And the cleaning guy was really upset about how much work he had to do. So I gave him my skateboard. Oh, that's nice. And he, we, we, we left on good terms. But that's good. I, yeah, I saw this film. It's funny because I'm, I'm recovering from a pretty nasty head cold this week, and so I watched this film lying on my couch, feeling like shit. And I'm pretty sure the first time I saw this movie was under similar circumstances with my dad bringing it home from the video store when I was homesick. So okay, the circle of life. Indeed. I, I'm trying to remember where I even first saw it, and I couldn't tell you. It was probably on television somewhere. Like, I don't think I ever went out of my way to watch it. It was just on. and I. <laughs> but I remember it vividly because I remember just thinking, this is the dorkiest thing I have ever seen about skateboarding, and I love it. When I saw it, it was the coolest shit I've ever seen about skateboarding, and I fucking thought it was awesome because I was seven. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I was probably yeah. closer to like 13 or 14 when I first saw it. So I was definitely a little more jaded. Yeah, peak cynical. I was I was peak like this is the best on I saw this I saw this contemporaneously, you know, when it first came out. So I was like this is man, this is so cool. But Did you uh, believe that Los Angeles was full of roving skateboard gangs that were basically warriors gangs but with skateboards? It's not not anymore. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. Is yeah. not to get ahead of ourselves, but when they're in Venice early, is that the same place in Tony Hawk? I don't know if that's the exact same spot, but it's that it, like that is the very clearly the Venice Beach area, and yeah, like, it looks that whole just area like that is one. kind of yeah, like kind of a legendary skate spot. I I think it might be. Yeah, yeah. But this is is this the only like classic quote unquote skateboarding film you've seen? No, I mean it depends on what you mean by classic because. I had you know, quotes. <laughs> I mean, there's there's plenty of like great documentaries like Dogtown oh, yeah. and Z Boys and, and stuff like that. In terms of like movies that are about skateboarding, I can't think of too many that I've actually watched. Like I've seen stuff like, you know, more recently, like uh the mid nineties, which was, you know, kind of more of like a, you know, kind of a slice of life story about nineties skate youth. But yeah, no, like I most of what I think of is like, you know, the Dogtown Z Boys, like the, you know, like obviously a lot of the old skate videos from the skate companies, like Animal Chin and, you know, all all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. And but, you know, I mean, the thing I think of when I think of this movie is less other skateboarding movies and more I mean, there's obviously direct analogs to stuff like Rad and The Wizard. Um oh, maybe God, something Rad. like a maybe even something like a Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift in in the sort of like, you know, wrong side of the tracks, you know, vaguely based around a competition type of story. But also it seems like it has, it shares like those movies and this movie especially share a lot of DNA with like old, like 50s, 60s, like greaser and surf (laughs) drama type stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think one thing it has in common with Rad and Wizard, one, this is a better movie than both of those, but they're all fad movies. Definitely. You know, and this, you know, skateboarding always has a kind of a weird trajectory of popularity because it kind of goes up and down. You know, like it was I was I did research for this and I just out of curiosity, I went to a newspaper search and I typed in skateboard and I looked for the earliest references I could find. And the first printed references of skateboarding I found were in the late 50s in California. And there was like a mini moral panic because some dumb dipshit on a skateboard threw, went through a, a car window and lost his arm. That sounds about right. Yeah, like yeah. moral panic being the first way anyone becomes aware of this thing sounds about right for this country. Yeah, I saw an article about they're trying to ban skateboarding from Venice Beach. Didn't work. Um, 
obviously. And then there were like some skateboarding, like you saw skateboarding in surfing movies because that was, a, you know, that's where it came from. Yeah. And it was very much like it was definitely, a, you know, there was a lot of overlap in those early days between like surf kids and skate kids. Yeah. If you watch any of the really bad, like, well, not always bad, but the Frankie Avalon and that Frunicello Beach movies. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of when I was yeah. watching this. It's a bikini world, a bikini beach or those kind of things. Yeah. It's a nose. And then there was some like skateboarding documentaries. And I think Stacey Peralta was in all of those. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. In, the, in, in all in 76, like a f- few of them. And then in 78, a movie I've seen, but I have not seen probably since the same week I saw Thrashing, is called Skateboard, which okay. was written by Dick Wolf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. And, <laughs> and stars uh, Tony Alva and Leif Garrett. Oh, that's a combo. And the that's trailers a thing you on can you- only do in the 70s. It also has Gordon Jump. You know who Gordon Jump is? I've heard the name, yeah. The Maytag repairman. And okay, he, all he right. Was, he was the chief of police on Soap. Uh, so oh, had, okay, okay. I know who you're talking about now. Chief of police, Tinkler. And yeah. um, uh, I I want to see that again. It it was on Amazon Prime for like five minutes, like a, a few years ago, and I missed it. And there's no HD copy anywhere. It's not even on YouTube illegally. Like, I cannot find that movie. Um, Damn. I'm sure it's terrible, but like... But that's not the point. You just I want really to see want it. to see it. Yes. Yeah. And like then there's and there's something called skateboard madness that I never heard of in 1980. And then this. And then nothing okay. until and then nothing until gleaming the cube. Unless you want to count police story. Unless you want, unless you want to count police academy four. Oh, I have seen gleaming the cube also. I don't know oh, why yeah. I didn't think of that one, but yeah, that's <laughs> I. You know, I don't have quite the same affection for gleaming the cube that maybe I have for this and. It's not that I think Thrashin is a good movie in, you know, like <laughs> traditional terms, but there is a real just dorky sweetness to it mm-hmm. that I can't help but love because it is knowing what I know about 80s skateboarding, which was, you know, as much about just like guys doing, you know, funny little flips, you know, like on a flat surface as it was about like kind of the early onset of like the Tony Hawk style of skating. like. This would have been incredibly goofy and and dorky to any of the skateboarders that were prominently featured in this film. I'm sure everyone had a very good laugh about this movie and what it was trying to do. But, like, there just isn't a lot of skate stuff that is like that. You know, like, so much of skateboarding is about kind of being kind of edgy, punk, you know, being so, like, (laughs) tightly in alignment with what skating is like, there isn't really a lot of room to kind of just do like a super earnest wrong side of the tracks, kind of Romeo and Juliet skateboarding story. Like no one has really tried to do that and maybe for good reason, (laughs) but I love the attempt and I love like what they try to do with this. Even if it does, I don't think it's fully good. Yeah. So the movie, yeah, as, as, as you said, it's, it's a, it's a West side story, Romeo and Juliet type romance. With a kid from a, uh, where is he from originally? Does it say? He's Do from the valley. Say? He's just from the valley. He's from like at like 45 minutes away from where the rest of the movie takes place. Okay. And then he, well, you never see his parents. You just give him some money on, on, a, on, a, on a bathroom meal, which is nice. And which he is, goes, you know, not really a commentary on latchkey kids, but like becomes one in retrospect watching yes. it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Same here. And then he goes to Ventura to compete in a downhill race and falls in love with the Midwestern sister kind of like the most Indiana girl any movie has ever tried to portray. 
it is she is the i guess not to, she's a good actress but she is definitely the like the bargain version of kelly lynch yes <laughs> i would say uh and falls in love with her but she is the sister of hook tommy hook um who runs the daggers uh a skateboard gang that looks like that the the idea of like Brando's gang and the wild ones, but on skateboards. It and is, it is one of the great pleasures of this movie that it makes no attempt whatsoever to contextualize what the daggers actually are. Like, what is their day to day? How do they exist? What are they actually striving for, other than just shredding everything around them and being weirdly mean to break dancers? <laughs> It'd be really funny if like they still mention it, but they're like low key speed dealers or something. It's you know, like you given the house they live in, I could see that, but like it is, yeah. it is just they just exist free of the economy and the world around them. They are just there to be a menace, and I'm not sure how you get that job, but I want it. They're like a commune, kind of. <laughs> it's like it's like Gong, except you know, space rock. It's like you know, skateboards. Same thing. Yeah. Um. It's so stupid, but I feel like we, we we talk about how this has like an old old timey feeling to it. I feel that really has to do with the people who made it. This is the brainchild of Alan Sachs, the creator of Welcome Back, Cotter. Ah, and he did a lot of TV movies, and he made a movie about the Runaways. Um, wait, the band? Yes, the band. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, what's called Do Do Beat EO. Apparently, it's like this weird, like postmodern, like fake documentary. Um, okay. Yeah, I want to. See, it's it got, it has, it's it's well regarded. Did it come out? Like, did they make it? So they, they didn't, it, I don't know if it's on video, but it did come out because okay. there was a write up about it in LA Weekly back All when right. it came out, and about him. And on the same page of the LA Weekly was an article about a female skate crew called the Hags. Okay. And that's how. Uh, he that's how Sachs discovered skateboarding and then as he says in an interview I talked to some punks I knew he just knew some punks and yeah. about skateboarding they took, him, they took him to Venice he thought it was so cool he was like there's no story here let's make it West Side Story but nobody dies and um, got the, wrote, wrote the script and then took it to his producer Charles Fries who's like I- I'm not going to talk too much about him because I'm planning on one about TV movie and Charles Fries is like the king of TV movies. Just okay. like he he hundreds of them he produced. I think his and a few theatrical films. I think his most notable theatrical film is probably Flowers in the Attic. Oh, um, okay. Yes. He also did the newer he 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 passed away just last year at 92. And he produced the re, the remake versions with uh, Heather Graham. Okay. Um and but he did like the Spider-Man TV series from the 70s. Um, oh, I love that TV series. Yes, he did uh, a million TV films you haven't seen and haven't heard of, and just a big name in that. But he didn't want to make the movie. But then his son, who was a teenager, found out about the script, and it's like, "Dad, skateboarding's cool." And and the rest how, is history. The rest is history. There's another writer on it named Paul Brown who did a few other things, but nothing. He, he kind of I think his big thing there is he produced Quantum Leap. Oh, I mean, uh, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. Yeah, and he wrote he wrote a couple X Files episodes, and uh, did some rip off movies, but not not much. And then mm-hmm. there's the director, who I think is the real reason why this film is so saccharine, because 
he's David Winters, who he's like a multi multi award winning dancer. Okay. And choreographer. He was in West Side. I, yeah, go ahead. He was in West Side Story. Okay. Yeah. So the, the thing Broadway, I took, the Broadway production. So the thing I took away from his uh filmography is that he is also the director of noted mystery science theater film Space Mutiny. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is the most important thing I saw on his on his IMDb page was like, "Oh, you're the beef large huge guy. Holy shit." <laughs> He also is the producer for all of David A. Pryor's films. Okay. David A. A. Pryor did Killer Workout. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which I've covered on this podcast. I did an an episode, double episode of Killer Workout and the Travolta film Fitness. Uh, Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Yeah. Yet another 80s trend seized upon. This is better than perfect. But yeah, he's like this award-winning choreographer and dancer. He did the choreography for Viva Las Vegas and The Star is Born and the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh my god. So not <laughs> exactly a lightweight. Not no, and and uh, and the Doris Day film I love called Semi No Flowers was a great movie. And he was married to Linda Lovelace. Uh <laughs> That's another <laughs> and, detail you just throw in there. All right, <laughs> uh, you know it's fun. And he yeah. produced he produced her non-pornographic film Linda Lovelace of President. Um, okay. And but he didn't direct that much. Like yeah, he directed a Raquel Welch TV special. Some people just have these incredibly like I'm not going to call them cursed, but definitely like just very sporadic and strange filmographies. You know, they just they just do like, you know, there's a guy out there whose only film credits are directing 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ship and then never directing another movie. Oh, 13. This guy did a Raquel Welch special and Thrashing. I think he did two Raquel Relch specials. He, you know, no, you couldn't, you shouldn't call him cursed because he was wildly successful. Like, but as a choreographer, primarily choreographer and a dancer and on Broadway. So like, I mean, he's in Gypsy and West Side Story. So, you know, good on him. But I feel like they hired him because Sachs was like, he can direct dancing. He can direct skateboarding. (laughs) Yeah. Skateboarding is like a dance. It requires coordination. It makes sense. It, it, It makes sense. But I feel like between Sachs being the creator of Welcome Back, Cotter, and this guy working on Broadway, you're not going to get, like... No, there's going to be no edges to any of this. This, It's all sanded off. All sanded off. And then, of course, Charles Fryers does TV movies. So, like, they hired some real skate people, like uh, Tony Alba's a consultant. He's also in the movie. One of, he's one yeah, of the like Christian Hassoy's in the movie. Like yeah. uh, Tony Hawk, I think has an uncredited oh, cameo in there. I made a list of all the skateboarders. Like yeah, Tony Alva, Steve Caballero, Tony Hawk, Rodney Mullins in the nightclub, but he's not credited. Uh, Lester Kasai, Lester Kasai invented the Benny Hanna. Um, Pierre, I don't know how to say Pierre's last name. Pierre Wellander. Yeah, um, I think that's right. He was Michael J. Fox's double on Back to the Future. He is the second best flatland skater of all time. <laughs> Behind Rodney Mullen. Um, and he co-founded Birdhouse. Um, Mike McGill invented the McTwist. Uh, he did the stunts in Gleaming the Cube. Billy Ruff was a big vert skater. Kevin Stab, he does he does work of Tony Hawk. He was in Tony Hawk's Project 8. And a lot of other, like, huge skate people. And like I said, Tony Alva is a consultant. And Stacey Peralta is the second AD. Second unit of director. Yeah. So they so got, they got like, like, the right people to portray the skateboarding. Yes, but they had no creative input, I would imagine, other than the, the, the tricks. Yeah. You know, because, like, 
everything around it is this ridiculous nonsense Saturday morning cartoon stupidity in the best well, way the possible. Good- but the good news on that front, though, is that they dedicate so much B-roll to just people doing skating and montages of skating yeah. that they don't need to have any input on the story because there barely is one. Yeah, I feel the skateboarding is directed well. It is. Like, it's yeah. like I, you know, I'm no expert on 80s skating, but like what they are showing and obviously they have like real skaters doing it, but like what they are showing doesn't look awkward or you know off from what like you know you would see in an average skate video from that time yeah and the only mistakes i routinely saw in a movie were that some characters would switch stance right you know they go hey some skaters switch stances they just do you know but they're not going to do grinds on both stances like in five seconds (laughs) no probably not unless unless you're playing tony hawk um so yeah, good good people behind the scenes. One more person behind the scenes I want to mention, just for no reason, just because it's funny. The cinematographer is Chuck Colwell. He was the second unit director on Terminator. I only bring him up because he was a cinematographer. For, he was the cinematographer for the Sledgehammer TV show. Oh hell yes, yes. Which I thought hell you liked. yes, Sledgehammer. Yes, I need to get that DVD. Uh, yeah, I've got it. It's, I, yeah. it's it is one of my cherished possessions. Oh god, I loved I loved that show when I was a kid, and then the, the ending. But just everybody fucking dies. Um, I never got to see it until I was an adult, but it still hit hard as an adult. <laughs> it confused the shit out of me when I was seven. But that's behind the scenes. In front of the camera, star our protagonist, Corey Webster, is played by Josh fucking Brolin. God, never have I seen a 17-year-old that looked more 30 than <laughs> than this kid. I mean, he does look like a 17-year-old. It's just that he has a 30-year-old's head. He really does. And I think he probably turned 18. I think he was 18 when he made this, but just barely. Yeah. Um, and it's his second film after Goonies. Which oh wow! I also watched this week because I was sick. Um, How does that movies. hold up? I, I mean, it's a little, it's adorable, and okay, I I think would say it, it's mostly problematic by exclusion. Yeah, and uh, but it's 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 fun. It's, it's just stupid. been a long time since I watched it, so I just I couldn't remember if that one held up or not. Boy, that one's really good in that. <laughs> That's what I do remember that. Yes. I think the only problematic part of Goonies is when Corey Feldman torments the uh, Mexican maid. But right. uh, he's tormenting her in a way that a real a real seventh grader probably, probably would. So Though making that. him sympathetic after that is sort of like, eh. He's not. He's the least sympathetic for the entire film. <laughs> so right. there's that. But Josh Bullen, of course, in Goonies. And then, like, it's kind of funny because, like, in, in my head, Josh Brolin is Goonies, this, No Country, and Thanos. That sounds about... Well, don't forget Jonah Hex. I did. You shouldn't. Never Is forget he, about Jonah Hex. I, I, was he Jonah Hex? He was Jonah Hex. Okay. Is that a bad movie? Oh, it's very bad. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. It's very, yeah. very bad. <laughs> very, very bad. Uh, also, he's, you know, Barbara Streisand step... step uh, yes. Which I just think is funny. Apparently, he's not too happy with this film. <laughs> I can't imagine why... 
Yeah, he he said he quit acting for a while. Like he did small stuff after this. That's what I, I read in one article. Um, I found one interview on like a skateboarding YouTube channel that he's there, but they don't talk about the movie. They just talk about the poster. Interesting. Yeah, so that was kind of annoying. Um, but like it's weird. Like I can understand not liking this movie or not saying it's like you know one of the highlights of your career or whatever. But like it's your second movie. It's it's of a kind with a lot of other movies from this era. I don't think it is like uniquely terrible compared to a lot of other stuff that was aimed at aimed at teens from this era. No, and you know it might not be his peak, but I think for everybody else in the movie, it probably is. So yeah, kinda. You know, I, I and he, you know. I know, yes, he's 17 years old, but he looks great. <laughs> like, Yeah, and like his skating doesn't look bad. Like he, yeah. Yeah, obviously there are some scenes where you can tell they switch to a stunt guy, but like when he just has to do the, you know, the basic stuff around the board, like he looks pretty natural at it. He does it. He does a drop. Yeah. He does a vert drop. You know, that would kill me. I couldn't do a vert drop most of the time <laughs> when I was skating. Yeah. So good on him. And, you know, I think he, he's, he's allergic to shirts throughout the entire I mean, film. Look, if you've got it, flaunt it. I, yeah, my motto. I don't have it anyway. Um, he's he's the he's the hero, and our villain Hook is played by a dude named Robert Rustler, who was in like he had a good like three years, <laughs> right? Like a yeah. lot of other sort of like vaguely handsome but kind of villainous actors from that era. He is in Weird Science. He's in Nightmare on Elm Street Two. He's the the main killer's best friend who dies in the bedroom. That's the one I remember him from. Yeah. That's the like Great. the only other movie I really remember. I don't remember. I don't remember him from Weird Science, but I also don't remember a lot of Weird Science. Yeah, me neither. He's in a he's in an Albert Pune film, so you know it's good. Um, mm. dangerously close. And he's in another movie from '86 I love called Vamp. Okay, I've never seen that one. That's the Grace Jones vampire movie. Okay, I have heard of this movie. I've never seen it. It's gooder. It's see, it's it's like if you thought Fright Night needed more boobs. I just will see anything <laughs> with Grace Jones in it. So she I'm has down. no lines. Doesn't um, matter. Yeah, she's amazing. See, and they they give her a, like a strip sequence because she's a stripper, and I, you can tell she choreographed it because it is not sexy. Mm-hmm. And it is. I like, bet it's like vaguely confrontational. Not vaguely. Okay, extremely confrontational. Oh. <laughs> It's a gooder. It's a gooder. But Robert Russell was a skater. And that's how I got that's mostly how he got the part. He could skate. That tracks. Um, somebody else in the film, I think it was um I think it was uh yeah, Sarah Lynn Fenn, who plays a small character, she was dating Johnny Depp and she wanted him in the movie. And Sachs met Johnny Depp and thought he was too like soft to right. be to be wrestler or to be hook although you know hook not a very hard character no not no. especially like the version of hard that this movie goes for is not really that threatening like again they they kind of style them sort of similarly to like the orphans from the warriors but they're just guys on skateboards who have like who just kind of harass people and that's it. Like there's yeah. I know they live in like the you know a dingy what I think was actually a crack house. Yes. Uh and <laughs> like they you know they 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 sort of just go around like messing with people, but like I again, I still don't really know what it is that's supposed to be threatening about them other than there's a lot of them and they have skateboards. You cannot be threatening you cannot be a, a threatening gang leader and worry about which earring you're gonna wear. Do I should I wear the hoop? Yes, sir. 
that scene. That is oh, that whole bit, man. Like, and again, like he's got this kid sister from Indiana, who we'll get to in a second here. And it's just like he's just some Midwestern guy who went to L.A. and decided he had a skateboard gang. That's just his a, backstory. Yeah, just a dude hanging out in a bedroom with a girl talking about earrings. Um, uh, God, Lino, I'm gay as a rainbow, and that is some gay shit. Um, yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, he he does he has his girlfriend, but he doesn't really seem that in like he's more like an accessory. Yeah, she's just <laughs> yeah. kind of there. It's kind of there. Uh, his his sister Chrissy, the most Midwestern name, is uh, Pamela Gidley, who didn't do a ton of work. She is the t- she is the titular Cherry Two Thousand in Cherry Two Thousand, which is a, supposed to be a good movie. I have not seen. Um, okay, that has Melanie Griffith uh, and Tim Thomerson. So okay, yeah, I like him, and she's in a movie I love called dudes have you seen dudes you'd like dudes. i have not seen dudes you would like if you like if you like this aesthetic dudes is a more hardcore it's more it's penelope's fears okay um directing like it's about these two or three new york punks who decide to move to la i am in it well you know it says jonathan crier um uh a dude named daniel roebuck i think his name is um and uh, flee. Perfect. And on the way there, um, Lee Ving kills Flea. <laughs> God, and whenever th- Lee Ving shows up in something, you know they are casting him for the scummiest role imaginable. And the soundtrack is great. It has um, a good Wasp song. It has it has Urban Struggle by by the Vandals. It okay. has um, the earliest recording of James Addiction's Mountain Song. Um, okay. Great, great. I'll check that out. It's a gooder. I like. I like. I like dudes. But uh, Pamela didn't do too much. She was in Twin Peaks, the movie. Right. See, that is the I thing. Was, that is like the only thing she's other thing she's been in that I would would recognize her from. Yeah, and, and she sadly passed away a few years ago. But I, I haven't seen. To be honest, I haven't seen Twin Peaks since I was a kid. I really have to revisit it. Uh, I revisited it like when, like when the return came out. I had not seen any Twin Peaks in decades, and also I had never seen the entire series, so I watched all of it before I watched The Return. Uh, everything people tell you about it is correct, which is to yeah. say the first season is great, there are pretty good bookend episodes in the second season, and The Return is amazing. Yeah, I really want to watch the... I've heard I've heard good things about it, and all I really know about Twin Peaks is is that all I remember, all I remember from Twin Peaks when I'm watching it as a kid was Bob. Yes, and how he terrified me, and then I later He's found a terrifying out. presence in that that shit, man. And then I later found out Bob was a set set designer, who yeah, he was a guy who accidentally got into a shot, and David Lynch, being David Lynch, said, "Let's just use it." Yes, and he also was a set designer for joysticks. Um, which... <laughs> <laughs> oh, joysticks! God, <laughs> this is why I started my podcast. So I can find yep, these just so out. you could find a way to talk about joysticks. No, just so I could find that out about that about him and researching it, uh, you know. Uh like how I found out that um uh Sherilyn Fenn, who plays Velvet, she was Audrey in Twin Peaks. Um yeah. she is Susie Quattro's niece. Oh no shit. Yeah, no shit. Huh. <laughs> You're gonna say that a lot, because like the rest of the cast There's a lot of weird connections just yeah. throughout this thing, man. Yeah, let me just let me just burn through them really quick because the rest yeah. of the cast doesn't, doesn't do that much. But they, all of them have huh moments. So 
there's a character named Sam Flood who's like the big skateboarding tycoon. Right. And as he's played by Chuck McCann. Chuck McCann was on Captain Kangaroo, and Chuck McCann was the voice of Duckworth. Oh, wow. Duck okay. Tales. And he was the voice of The Thing in the 90 Fantastic Four cartoon, and he's the voice of Leatherneck in G.I. Joe. Okay, uh, so again, a guy who has definitely made his hay just like, I'm just going to do cartoons. And he was in that Linda Lovelace movie, which I imagine is how, how he got this role. That would make sense. Yeah, that yes. character is so weird. Like, he's just this real, like, car dealer owner kind of guy. Yeah. Which, but you know, nice isn't... He's a nice guy. Like, that's, he's not evil. He's just a, <laughs> just a dude who runs skateboarding, but he has the air of, like, a Midwestern businessman. Yes, <laughs> totally. And then there's... um. Brooke McCarter, he's the pretty blonde boy named Tyler. He was in The Lost Boys and the video game Double Switch, and that's about it. Um, All right. More interesting ones, Bozo, who I hate. Mm -hmm. I hate that character. He is in all three Bad News Bears films, and he is Gummo Marx's grandson. Which means he's related to... Of all the Marxes, that's the the one. At least it's not... Yeah, I know. Um, you can kind of see it, but he also he produces commercials now. The funniest one is one of the characters, a dude named Radley. I forget which one. I think he's the one with the dark hair, um, of the Ramp Locals gang. He mm-hmm. directed the GNR video for Live and Let Die, <laughs> and he and here's the best part: he manages Deadsy. The what? <laughs> I have not heard the word Deadsy. Who's Deadsy, Alex? Can you, can you inform people who Deadsy is? Do you know who that? Do, how much I, you know about? I don't know them that well. Like they're an industrial band, aren't they? Yeah, but the 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 they're led by uh, Cher and Greg Allman's son. That's right. That's why I know. Yeah, I don't know the guy's name, but yeah, that's right. I forgot Eliza. it's an Allman. Yes, Eliza. I only know that because I'm a I'm a huge Cher fan. Um. Uh, they're terrible. <laughs> Is that band still around? Uh, let's see. According to Wikipedia, they got they reformed in 2017. Uh, oh, good. They, yes. Um, I don't. There's... I don't remember much about Deadsy other than them existing in that kind of like mid 90s, late 90s industrial boom, kind of in that like stabbing westward they have, sort they of do... like era. I know them for two for a few things. One, they have a terrible song called "The Key to Gramercy Park." Which mm-hmm. is just a terrible song, and I heard their cover of Tom Sawyer. Um, I, that might be the only song of theirs I've actually heard. Now that I'm thinking the, about it, hey, to be honest, it's the second best industrial cover of Tom Sawyer I ever heard. I've heard two. The other is by Mindless Self Indulgence. Their version's better. I would much uh, rather hear Mindless Self Indulgence do most things. So that's fine. I'm gonna bet Eliza Blue Almond is less of a piece of shit than Jimmy Urine, but. Um, that's saying nothing. So anyway, I'm but, speaking, speaking purely on musical quality here. Me too. Me too. I'm I'm a huge MSI fan, but uh, Jimmy's a bad guy. But anyway, yeah, um, absolutely not here to defend anyone in that band. No. Uh, according to the IMDb, Dead Sea fans consider Josh Richman to be one of the greatest managers of all time. So it must be true. Um, yeah. And, sure. Yeah. And on the behind the scenes stuff on the DVD, he's always wearing a Dead Sea T-shirt, which I thought was. <laughs> Really funny. Gotta um, push the product, man. Yes. Also, one more, one more random piece of trivia in, in the trivia cast section. Uh, Alice Nunn is in this movie. She's a truck driver. That's Large Marge. Mm-hmm. Uncredited. Um, I just think that's funny because that is the third film that Alice Nunn has been in that has been on this podcast. Is because she just a truck driver in real life or was she? 
So she. So what, what else did I see him in for this podcast? He was in Fangs, which if you haven't seen Fangs, Alex. Um, oh, I've seen Fangs. Oh, good. And oh, she's in Trick or Treat. Which I've is, also seen Trick or Treat. Yeah. And I've seen her in Mommy Dearest. She's the maid, Helga. Um, oh, okay. I have not seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Never seen it. I don't... Uh, look, we all have our blind spots, but you know what? Pee-wee's Big Adventure, still worth watching. Yeah. Oh, she's also in Three O'Clock High, which is a good movie. Um, also a good movie, yes. Yeah, so I've seen her in a lot of fucking movies. <laughs> so, but she has no lines, I think. She's kind of on camera. She's great in Fangs. Um, playing God, that that's evil one I've not... It's another one I've not seen in a very long time. Highly recommend Fangs. It's a gooder. Um, but yeah, this is a strange cast overall. No, and it's it's it always amazes me that when a movie comes out in the mid '80s, and considering the 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 this girth of talent of young actors at that time, and you get a movie that had none of them. I have to imagine the budget for this thing was not particularly high. Yeah, it is a Charles Fry's film, so you know, yeah, he's, he's doing like, TV. It's it, based on everything I know about it. It sounds like it was really a shoestring production in every way, shape, and form. And I'm <laughs> sure they were just like, "Are you young? Are you hot? Are you willing to learn to skateboard? If you don't already, great, get in here." And you don't even have to skateboard. Can you, do you look like a double? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you just at least stand on a board for a second? That's really all yes. we need. And look dope. Yes. Uh, yeah. The production was kind of strange. All I can really find found an interview with Catherine Hardwick, mm-hmm. the director of Twilight. She worked worked on this film. Um, She worked in the art department, and that the the Dagger's house was a crack house. Yeah, that was the that was the thing I read in the notes. I was like, that is that makes so goddamn much sense. And they didn't get permission from the owners. They got permission from the crackheads. (laughs) What would have like okay? If you have already (laughs) made the calculation that you're going to film in an actual crack house, what benefit is it to you? to reach out to the legal owner of the crack house. What will that gain you? Yeah, Nothing. You just, just lose money, I guess. You're just losing um, time and money at that point. Yeah. But she said the crackheads tried to kill her and that uh, the they would get the art department would get boards from skateboarding companies and then the, the, then the art department would sell the boards for money or drugs and then sell drugs. Based on what I know about early skateboarding companies and how much they were just throwing product around, that sounds right. Yeah, very kind of a ramsackle thing yeah. going on here. But let's let's talk more about you know the film in detail for a little bit. Like we both like it. It is on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it. It's short. It's silly. It's sweet. It's popcorn. I uh, grabbed a copy of the Blu-ray for this because oh, I wanted. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to see, and it is the perfect Blu-ray re- release for this movie in that it looks pretty good. And there is literally nothing else on the disc other than the film. There isn't yeah, I, even a, 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 a like a, a subtitle track. Yeah, I heard that because the MGM DVD had like uh, special features. Yeah, um, they just said that, nah. That somebody ripped and put on YouTube, and nobody cares. So that's yeah. how I watched them. Uh, but yeah, that, I, the, the the copy on Prime looks good too. So 
whether you, if you want to be crazy like Alex and own a physical copy of it, or you know crazy like me and watch it on Prime, you 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 do you. But yeah. I feel like the whole film this starts off with the tone is set as this is a cartoon with uh, Corey getting up, seeing the notes on the mirror from his parents he never meet. They say, good luck in the competition. He grabs $30 and jumps out his fucking window and skate, skate, skates away. And he's gone for a week, basically. Yeah, 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 it's gone for a week. It's the entire film is a week, yes. And as he is skating in his hilarious montage, we get a great song. Um, Truly a classic track. Uh, Thrashing by Meatloaf. This song... I had forgotten about this, and I, I remembered a little bit about the soundtrack. I remember having a few good like punk songs that yeah, I, I'm we'll certainly the... very fond of. But I had forgot. I had somehow put this song out of my brain, and I did not put two and two together that it was Meatloaf until I watched the credits and I saw it in there. That's a uh, it's a piece of work. You know, as as I've said many times, no one likes '80s Meatloaf, and I feel like this is this this is this this could be anybody. Right? Yeah, it, it sounds like it, it's basically it's everyone trying to do like kind of the oh god the fucking um the Kenny Loggins you know sort of like it's a theme it's it has the name of the movie in it it's mm-hmm. kind of jaunty and old timey rock and roll but with a little bit of eighties instrumentation and it's just nothing yeah and it, it the song was written by the film by the film writer Alan Sachs and his wife. And a guy named Larry Larry Franklin Lee who did songs for like Canon Films and Revenge of the Nerds too. So, mm-hmm. you know, quality stuff here. Not the worst song in the movie. No. Really quick, but it is just, pretty bad. I want to get yeah. So most of the songs were, were written by the produced and written by these guys named Pickerel and Goatsman. Um, uh, Gary Goatsman and uh, I forgot. Um, and Mike Pickerelow. They did songs for Fright Night. They did. They did all the songs and that thing you do that are not that thing you do. Mm-hmm. So too bad for them. And but Goatsman is the inspiration for the main character in Licorice Pizza. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he has a weird life, and he produced Philadelphia. He, he's he's uh, Jonathan Demme's producer. And I again think that, getting into these weird connections. Yeah, and I think music is kind of like a hobby for him. Okay. Um, and all the people they recruited are like nobody's like. The the one of the the arrow through my heart love song that's by Jimmy Demers who was the voice of the always always Coca Cola um, okay. <laughs> jingle is that the one from the love scene or no from that the is montage oh the love scene the love let the love begin yeah that horrible song that was written by somebody that was written by Gloria Skrilov and Lenny Macaluso that's by Jimmy Demers also and a woman named Carol Sue Hill who, who has done a lot. Both Gloria and Lenny worked with Stan Bush. Great. Gloria won an Emmy writing a song with Stan Bush for a soap opera, and Lenny co-wrote The Touch. They did better work than this, is what you're telling me. Yes, they did better work. (laughs) Because nothing says sex in a skateboarding movie like the least horny love ballad you've ever heard in your life. The chance to make it now Let the light begin Let the light come shining in Who knows where the road will lead us now Look at what we found 
That thing is so non-sexual, it's practically Mormon. Like, oh, it is a- just... It is so saccharine and so unbearable. Yeah, it's bad. There's a there's a decent like high energy song called "Don't Think Twice" by a woman named France Jolie who did some Canadian disco, which is a fun sentence. Um, but that <laughs> I ask me, I I own more than one Canadian disco album. I'm gonna stop there. Um, there had to be more than one, so I believe you. The singer named Lisa Dabello. Check her out. Anyway. Um, that was written by Britta Phillips, who was the voice of Jem. Oh, wow. Okay. And she was in The Mystery, the band in Dustin Bateman's Satisfaction. I have never seen that. It's a bad movie. And she okay. was in a band called Luna with people from Galaxy 500. And she okay. was in a band called Bell Tower with the, guy, with the guys from Fountains of Wayne. Oh, wow. Okay. So she's in a lot of like almost made it. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, another strange soundtrack. People like the, the, again, this movie is like six degrees to Kevin Bacon in, in every way, every way imaginable. But it's so weird because like yeah, there's all these weird like very bad original songs on here, but then they also just go and get some genuinely some like punk rock bangers to kind of Wild throw in, in the there too. Yeah, Wild in the Streets, which is one of my favorite Circle Jerk songs. Fucking, they've got Fear on the soundtrack, like Devo, like. It's a good, like, when they went and just said, hey, here's a band that is part of this scene, they found good stuff. It's just weird that they felt the need to write this original music for it that is the antithesis of the thing they're trying to portray. And, and, and emotion? Yeah, okay, (laughs) and emotion, not really a skate band, but, you know, like, popular at the time, and it's not a bad song. No, yeah, it's nah, well, it's it's not it's not the one song. It's a good montage song, it's which is basically song. what it is. Yes, yes. I, Adam Olsen's first album is great. Every other album by them is terrible. Um, trust me on this. And yeah, it's good, good, good music. And that when it's not the original music, I wish they would have leaned more into the punk. Yeah, this is before that era where like those soundtracks were just nothing but like licensed band banger after licensed yeah. band banger, you know, like they, they existed, but you know, everyone was still very much mired in this idea of we need to have our original music for the movie type stuff. And so like, we hadn't quite gotten to the era of like judgment night, the crow, you know, like the, the like all these bands, you know, and love doing like quality work and making up the entire soundtrack. Like that just wasn't as much of a thing. If Penelope's Fears were directed this, it would have had a much better soundtrack. Definitely. Yes. It, it would have been a probably much better movie, too. That, yeah. At least more, more authentic. Because yeah. as we continue with the montage and gets he gets into like the Vin- Ventura... Is it Ventura or Venice Beach? I always get them mixed up. It's Venice uh, Beach. Ventura Venice is Beach. actually closer to uh, the valley. Yeah, he, yeah, he's from Ventura. Yeah. And yeah. And um, into the Venice Beach, you get the, the uh, Saturday morning cartoon punk scene. Um, yep. which is what what I call it. And you meet the daggers. Um when I like it when they there's the guy named Monk who was like the turncoat dagger. He used to be on their side. And one of them says, Whatever, I knew him when his name was Ralph. It's from the valley, man. <laughs> I just like that line. And the daggers, they have their own area of the beach with quarry crashes. Um, yeah, he goes in there and he does a couple of vert tricks and everyone's pissed. Yes. They're almost as mad at him as they are at the breakdancer. Yeah, I don't understand the weird animosity for the breakdancers. Like, 
I understand that you think maybe it's lame, that's fine, but like, they're not in competition with you. They're not really infecting your life in any way, shape, or form. I don't think you need to be bagging on them. I feel it's that kind of like that uh, anti-tryhard mentality. You know, it's I like, guess, but they're the most tryhard. Like oh, the daggers are the most tryhard thing that's ever existed. The, the um, I feel a lot of people call Tommy a poser, and nailed it. <laughs> yeah, no, he's like he is king poser of Poser Mountain, <laughs> or sorry, Poser Crackhouse, Poser Crackhouse, Poser Valley. Uh, no, no, not, not the valley. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, they they. He shows up, and they don't really establish who Chrissy is right away. But that it, he sticks out immediately because they're all these like these wannabe punk rockers, and then Miss Miss Miss, Miss Western Midwestern, yeah, hanging out with them. And she's all cool. She's like happy. Oh, look at the freestyler! And like the freestyle, that's lame. Like they're con- constantly shitting on everything she likes. But immediately Corey's like, "Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> The thing that's that's really amazing about the dynamic between the leader of the daggers or the older brother and and Chrissy is that when she gets there, she ha- is totally unmiffed by the existence that this man is living. She clearly knows going in that this is how this guy has chosen to pursue life. And she one, not only is she cool with it. She's like, I need to come check this out for myself, but makes no effort whatsoever to adjust her aesthetic or her vibe to the thing they're doing. She's just like, it's like, like an, almost like an anthropology project for her. Like she's there to just sort of stand by and observe the life of the skate punk. There and is the, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's just so weird. And like, did the parents know what's, yes. what he's doing, what his there's life a, is? There's a line where Chrissy, where he says to Chrissy, I'm looking after you. And she says, "Don't you think when you send up when you send a photo to our parents when you look like quote an Indian? <laughs> that's a wild line. Indian. That's a wild right, Indian. Yes. They don't worry about you. Don't you think maybe I'm not here to check up on you? But that's so, also that's bad parenting to send your your virginal Midwestern daughter to go check up on the guy." <laughs> who is fucking living a Caligulan life of punk rock violence? I'm gonna go on and I'm gonna guess them Mormons. <laughs> they like, or they're just like they are just not interested in traveling. Like I, no, that or, is a terrible decision on their part. In, in my head, Canon, the Hovas. Like that Tommy, can, I could believe that Tommy is a fallen Jehovah's Witness because I have met fallen Jehovah's Witnesses and they they go hard. They fall hard. <laughs> they got to make up for lost time. Um, but I think there's there's there's, uh, there's a lot of good montages early on because then they also build that dope ramp. Yep. Um, and then you get some good skateboarding, first person skateboarding. God. Yes. I th- I love that because I definitely have sat in with people while they were building ramps. I am not good at woodworking or anything oh, in that no. fashion. Me neither. But I was definitely able to hang out there while other people built a ramp, and I remember that experience fondly. So. I don't think I've ever seen a a, a half pipe in person. Really? I, I, I where would I mean? I've I've driven past skate. I've been on the train past the skate park in Tokyo, but sure. I didn't have a half pipe, um, like a full full size like st- standalone half pipe. And yeah, I'm from I Ohio. Guess, <laughs> I, 
Yeah, that's fair. I guess I kind of <laughs> living in California, I was maybe like a little bit more half pipe adjacent than you were. I I never saw a ska- I like you know the stereotype of skateboarders on the street who can't who can't learn any tricks just hanging out. Um, yes, I didn't that see that until I moved to Pittsburgh. Um, okay, I never saw like the only skateboarders I knew in my hometown in Toledo were like in like elementary school, like when I was trying to okay. skateboard, and that's it. Like it was not a thing. Yeah, uh, in in Ohio, you know. Yeah, Northern California was definitely a very different scene. Like I. So I I was I was like I was into skateboarding before I moved to California like when I was still a kid in Virginia but like you know I got a board but there was like no one else to skate with in my yeah. in my hometown there. And I get to California and you know after a couple of years in school like I started meeting some kids who skated and they were like they so everyone used to hang out at this music venue which was also doubled as kind of like a teen center mm. called the Phoenix Theater uh where I where I grew up. And so it was this like a 90-year-old opera house turned movie theater turned music venue that was run by this still is run by this this saintly man named tom gaffey who has just like kind of shepherded the place along for the last like 40 years that's cool and it is it is like those places you see in movies not like the crack house more like the music venue they go to later yeah yeah it is completely graffitied up it is you know ever all the furniture is like in varying degrees of like disrepair if not outright destruction <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everyone there still cares for the place a great deal and takes good care of it. You know, it is sort of a beloved com- community institution. And they had all like kids over the years built all these quarter pipes along the walls of the music like theater area. So like during the day, kids would just go in there and skate all day huh. before the shows would happen at night. That sounds like that sounds like the kind of place I'd only see like in an episode of Teens Mutant Turtles. Like, yeah, totally. It was exactly it was like it was exactly it was exactly like the place in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movie where all the misbegotten youth are hanging out, oh, but man. the Foot Clan wasn't running it. Yes. Not as far as I know, they still aren't. So. Okay, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, the club, because the club's the next, you bought up the club, that's the next big scene yeah. when they go to see. I love this scene, by the way. Yeah, I love a, this. It's a great, great color. Um, and you get to see OG Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Hilal Slovak ass red hot chili peppers. Yes. Pre Chad Smith red hot chili peppers. Yes, crazy. And I uh what did a black eyed blonde? I think is the song. Yeah, black eyed blonde. I think that's correct, yeah. Uh I'm not a huge uh RHCP fan. Um but it's cool to see them that young. Uh, yeah. This was like the height of their L.A. popularity before they started to break big. Like this is when they were like the buzzy band of like the mid 80s. It's when I don't like them, but I can respect them for having energy and an edge and uniqueness. And being different for the time, certainly. As opposed to now. um, Yeah. Whether it's like, ugh. No, they're they're a sad shadow of even what what they were when they first became mainstream. Like I'll go to bat for Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I won't go to bat for anything after that. You're not going to go to bat for Aeroplane? You know, there's like two songs on Airplane I think are kind of good, but not, I, I like, is my life improved, like, like lessened by not ever listening to that album again? I don't think so. Yeah, not not the title track. God, I hate No. Oh, no. I hate that. Anyway, sorry. Dave Navarro ruins everything. No, just kidding. Hey, I'm not related to him. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> I never thought about that, but I didn't. <laughs> I used to get that joke a lot as a kid, but I, no relation. Yeah, because you looked just like him. Um, yep. Yeah, totally. But that's where. Uh, uh, Corey and uh, Chrissy have them meet cute uh, outside the club, and 
they fall in love. And... Yeah, things get too rowdy, so she, you know, he gets her out of there, and then they go on one of the more ill-advised tours of downtown Los Angeles and yeah. Hollywood that yeah. I have ever seen. <laughs> it's like I, I, I would expect them to walk past the cast of Angel. Yeah, uh, it's like it's like, like not a not a good area. No, it's not a good area. And on top of that, she keeps taking her shoes off while walking yeah. around the streets. Like, Ugh. one, wearing a party dress and heels to the punk show, bad idea, to, <laughs> right out of the gate. But then, like, deciding, I'm going to walk around the street, the sidewalks of Hollywood with no shoes or socks on. It's like, girl, you are going to get injected with something and you won't know it at the time. Yeah. So you lived in San Francisco, right? I lived in the Bay Area. I was in the North Bay. Yeah, so I've only been to L.A. twice, and once only overnight. Um, the first time for like a few days for the video store convention when I was 17 years old. Uh, that is like Sunset Boulevard area, right? Yeah, I mean, it's somewhere you, you in can Hollywood. See the walk of Some fame. of that is Sunset Boulevard for sure. I, I'm not sure. There's definitely a couple of other places I recognize that were off the boulevard, but like, yeah, I mean, that's just like, that's just Hollywood area generally. That place and sucks shit. It sucks shit then, it sucks shit now. Like, okay, look, there's a there's an ongoing beef between NorCal people and SoCal people. I'm I'm not immune to that sort of like you know, factionalism, but also LA is just like there are parts of LA I love. I would never walk around any part of it with my shoes off. That is an insane thing to do. I wouldn't walk around San Francisco with my shoes off either. I'm just no. saying that's a bad choice. Bad idea. I, I, my, in my two cents in the, the SoCal NorCal beef is that in 2022, both kind of suck. Yeah, no, I, there's really, it's, it's whoever wins, we lose <laughs> yeah, kind of situation. Totally, totally. But they're like out all night and then. Till like five goes, in the morning, which yeah, is like actually five, kind of impressive. Yeah. Five in the morning. Uh, just talking, you know? Yeah. And just doing kid they, stuff. They walk past a store called casual sex and see rolls her eyes at him. Um, oh, you! He's like, hey, so you wanna? <laughs> it's right here. Um, but when I she had gets... a slide whistle underneath <laughs> it, I can't whistle right now. I have a cold. Um, yeah, that was, that was an attempt. Anyway, Pew. she gets home. Hey, thank you. She gets home, and it's funny because first, like Tommy's like, oh, you met a guy? That's great. How is he? Like very like girl talk, and then mm -hmm. <laughs> then when he finds out, she says he's from someplace over the hill. Uh-huh. Which is the valley. Yes, the hated valley. The hated valley. And he's like, no, you hang out, Renny, you're gonna date somebody there, dagger. And the, that's the, the conflict. One, Go ahead. The one thing that this this part and the ongoing strife around this illustrates, I think, pretty well, and perhaps unknowingly, because I'm not sure this movie is actually smart enough to really think about this, <laughs> is that at the heart of even the most edgy, anarchistic, you know, sort of like out there kind of guy is a deep social conservatism. It's just that his social conservatism revolves entirely around his weird dirtbag friends. <laughs> but like his whole thing is that like, no man, they're from over there. They're not cool. It's like, you're literally just doing like, you're literally just like a, like a overprotective father. Like What's that? it doesn't matter how edgy you make yourself out to be. Uh, I know surfers are territorial. A skateboard is territorial too. Especially back I mean, then. Yeah, there's definitely like there was factionalism in skateboarding, certainly, and there was definitely like a territorial quality, you know, like certain parks had certain people that sort of like claimed it as their area. 
But like by the time I was skating, a lot of that stuff was like pretty in the background. I was never like, you know, friends with like famous skateboarders. So I don't know, maybe they experienced more of that shit. But like, you know, if I went down to the Santa Cruz skate park and I'm from the North Bay, no one really gave a shit. You know, yeah, like no one yeah. was really no no one made a thing out of it. Maybe it's more about spots. Yeah, like, it could be spots. I mean, it could yeah. be a lot of, but like the idea of these roving gangs just being like, yeah, this is our territory. Fuck you. Like, no, I don't no. think that was really a thing. I don't think so either. And then there is. So I think after the after the first date is the pool, right? Mm-hmm. The pool, the pool, the pool competition yes. where you get to see Tony Hawk for like five seconds. Um, credited as Timmy Hanks. That's <laughs> the skater name. They all had to use fake names. Um, and that's where they, the daggers sabotage Corey with, cause one of them just rocking a box of jacks. Yeah. Yeah. The most punk rock thing to do. I and mean, again, the eighties were obsessed with fifties nostalgia because everyone who wrote entertainment in the eighties grew up in the fifties. So yeah, kids, sure. They must have carried around jacks in 1986. <laughs> who wouldn't? Yeah, and I this is the kind of thing that as a kid pissed me off where it's like it's clear sabotage. Yeah, it's clear. No, it. But they do they do the WWF thing like the, you know the guy throws Fuji dust in his eyes and the ref doesn't see it somehow and it's it's just inexplicable. <laughs> Fuji dust. Thanks for that, um, dude. You remember Fuji dust? <laughs> my, is it like Mister Fuji throwing is, dust? Like you know, Jimmy Hart hitting people with his megaphone? The second most deadly dust of the eighties behind angel dust. Yep. Um, yes. Combine them, you get fucked up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, and so he's mad. That's when he also meets Sam Flood, and while not wearing a shirt, as you do, and mm-hmm. Sam Flood tells him that if he wins the LA downhill, L- aka the LA massacre, he will sponsor him. So do we know if that was a real event? Like, is there any like an equivalent of? Oh, so it is. Okay. Yeah, and I was gonna like. It's weird because I feel like downhill skateboarding is not a popular. No, it's not. But so here's here's the thing about me and my skateboarding is that I was an atrocious trick skater, but I was pretty good at just like getting around on a board. Like I could do that fine. And so the thing I used to do with my friends a lot. And none of us had any illusions that we were invented this or anything, but it was the thing that we did a lot because I lived in a very hilly town was shooting hills. Like it was just straight up doing downhill oh, skating. Now, the, way most, the way most of us did it, though, was we did it luge style. We would sit down on the board. Oh, There's like yeah. one guy in that montage later that is doing that. But everyone else is kind of doing the kneeling thing. I found that unless you really want to tear up your palms like there is no no tomorrow. That is a terrible way to do downhill skateboarding. Luge style, you kind of tear up the heels of your shoes because you got to break with them, mm-hmm. but you don't tend to do a lot of bodily damage unless you bail. Yeah, and so like we had a ton of hills in the town. Like I used to live right next to a skate uh, a state park that had like a big paved path, and you know there was maybe three people there ever. So like we could just go up there and just like shoot that hill like over and over and over again. And that was a blast. I used to love that shit, but I didn't realize it was like, I guess, like a real kind of competitive thing that like skaters did on the regular. There is an actual race now called the LA Massacre that's inspired by by the race in Thrashing. 
Well, this movie inspired one thing to happen at least, so yes. that's good. Yes, it did. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's the the impetus. Like, go ahead and you know, if if you can if you can make it there, then you're gonna be make the big time, man. Um, right. And then my favorite part is it cuts back to the dagger's house, and there does he's just doing air guitar. Yeah, for like a crowd of adoring fans and drinking Repo Man beer. Yeah, yeah, the beer is the beer from Repo Man. Like this beer, God, that's they so must have just weird. had that left over in a set department somewhere. That is so weird that 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 shows uh, up. Like, like you are not that edgy movie. Cannot. No, no, you're definitely trying to get some of the people who liked that movie to like this one, but it's yeah. not working. No, you do not have Emilio. You, uh, or what's his name? Who's the old guy? Harry Dean Stanton. Thank you. Yes, rest in peace. He passed away, right? Yes, he did. Yes, I'm sad. Um, and then you have Corey and her and Chrissy's second date. They go get that giant ice cream. God. <laughs> my ass would explode. Like, Those, again, everything they do is like the most ill-advised thing you could do on a date. Like, it is really impressive. Yes. Um, include, I mean, I don't know if everything they do is ill-advised, because later on, after that, you know, they, they you know, um, in the trailer. Again, but are they using protection? They don't oh, show a, it. They, they could be very ill-advised. It is a very PG sex scene. Like, that girl had an Indiana sex education. Like, <laughs> she probably doesn't know about contraceptives. Yeah. Louis is PG-13, so there's no nudity. No, um, no. It's a pretty long scene, but nothing, you don't see anything. You don't even get back nudity on her. Just on, just on, just on, uh, Josh Just Brolin's. some making out, and again, the most sexless ballad you've ever heard oh, in your life. Again, let the love begin. I f- there was a line in that song. What was it? I I, I made a note. One second. Uh, I I can't find it now. But it's let the love begin. Is oh, just the worst. It's it is like, a musical vasectomy. It's like if someone if you took the worst '80s Smokey Robinson song and divided it by Michael Bolton. And then made it like, and then just rubbed it around in the dirt for a while. Yes. Like, there's just nothing. It is nothing. Yes, it's terrible. And I like when he takes her home and the, and the, and the, and uh, Hook and the Dagger see them. They're just hanging out on a hill pulling weeds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as, as cool kids do. As dudes do. And then you get the first, like, actual, like, kind of hardcore scene in the film. Right. Like where where the circle jerks play, uh, that wild in the streets, and they just chase Tommy. And this um, is actually a pretty good scene. Like it's, it's a you well know, done scene. Yes, it's pretty well done. Like there's a little bit of tension to it. Like it's got a good song choice. They do a good job of emphasizing that this guy is really good at skating. And then one by one, each of the daggers start falling over or running into things. Like it's. It's exactly what you would want from a sequence like this. Yes, and that one guy, did he just fucking die? Like, he flies off. I don't think he died, but he did a fucking faceplant, man. Holy shit, he at least got some pretty bad road rash. Off, well, off, like, off, like, the second floor of the parking garage. (laughs) Just, like... You know, like, I'm look, I'm sure he landed on a plant or something. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then I think after that, they burned the ramp. Yes, it's after um, that that they decide to burn the ramp. I know where the ramp is. They know where the ramp. Somebody says off camera, clearly ADR, and nobody's voice from the film. Yeah, that definitely not, not anyone voice. that I have heard up to that yeah. point. There's a lot of bad ADR in this movie. Uh, <sighs> I, that was the time. You know, you didn't have time to be recording dialogue on the spot. It's like, eh, just fix it in post. 
Yes. So they burn the ramp down, and then Corey and Hook decide to meet for a, a, a joust. The joust. The joust. What a thing. What a you fucking th- thing this is. Do you think the makers of Skate or Die saw this film? I mean, eventually. Whether they saw it and then made Skate or Die, I don't know. But, like, yeah, I'd sort it's probably. Has, is that even, like, where did the idea of skate jousting come from? Okay, look, when you write a skateboard, (laughs) you come up with a lot of bad ideas for things you might want to do on a skateboard. That is a thing that I ran into time and time again. I used to be in a uh, in a band with this dude, Christoph, who was kind of an older guy who used to hang around the Phoenix, but he was kind of like a beloved fe- fe- uh, figure in our local punk scene. And Christoph, his favorite fucking thing to do was to play skate hockey, but not roller skate hockey, skateboard hockey. He would go out to an old oh, school dear. like blacktop and put up a couple of nets and he would we would play skateboard hockey. And let me tell you. of skateboard hockey is you falling off your board and trying to get back on your board while someone else grabs the ball slash puck. Because that's the thing about skateboards that makes it, you know, like, I'm not going to say I'm I'm not anti-rollerblading, but uh, rollerblading, you're on your blades. Yeah. There's a control there. There's a control. Then And it makes it, if you have good balance, I do not. That makes the basics of rollerblading probably a little bit easier. Yeah. Because you had the best to them. The best guy who played, Christoph, the guy who played the most skate hockey, was only on the board maybe 15% more than I was. <laughs> yeah. So, seems like a terrible idea. Not as, not as terrible an idea as jousting. This is so stupid. This <laughs> is, like, profoundly stupid. They are swinging a fucking sandbag on a chain at each other while they kind of gingerly roll past one another while there's, I think, a flaming pit in the middle. Is it on it's fire? I think it's rad. on fire. I, <laughs> That's I, the I, rad part, and they do nothing with it. No, he does almost burn him alive for fucking his sister. Yeah, but yeah. They, they pull back from it. I get the impression that most people who joust do not get anywhere near the fire. Yeah, it has a great look. Like the the look of that scene's great. I love that Velvet shows up in full white face paint, like Patty Smythe. God, yeah. Look, like, Sherwin just... Finn is a is a picture in this film. Like she is a she is a dream vision of a gothy punk girl from the eighties. Yeah, you that chick loves Susie Sue. Yes, definitely. Yes. The, and and the Cure. Um, like even the parts where Susie Sue dr- dressed up as a Nazi, she thought that was great. I just talked about that last week. Really? Oh no shit! <laughs> well, well, talking about class of '84 and, and Nazi punks, and I how, love like, Susie Sue, but like the weird obsession of that era of people dressing up in Nazi shit to be edgy was so fucking well, dumb. That was the thing. It was it was it was ill advised, but apolitical. Like they it was apolitical, but it was dumb. It was dumb. Well, I'm not defending it, but they were not yeah. they were not condoning Nazism. They just wanted to piss people off. Yeah, and it works. So it works. You know, I. I it's better than being an actual Nazi. Yes, definitely. It's still bad. I'm not, I'm not comparing. I'm not saying the two are equivalent, no, but still. No. Susie Sue is not a Nazi, as far as I can tell. No. Um, no. She's great. I like it. Corey wears a Susie Sue t-shirt in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But this girl to- would definitely have like looked at the Nazi thing and was like, oh, I should do that. <laughs> yeah. Totally. She, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue or good scenes, but she looks cool in every scene she's in. Yes, uh, definitely. Which is more she's than you styled can say, well. More than you can say about a lot of people in this film. 
But during the joust, Corey breaks his arm, and he's like, "I can't race anymore." And everyone's yeah, like, "He you- needs his arm to." Br- I, at first, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on there, but I was like, "Oh, you need your arm to brace the thing because the hill you're going down is insane." Got it. Yeah, but then he ends like cutting ahead. He still uses his arm. <laughs> he does, but he figures out a way to not because, like, I guess. He would because he has a glove on the other hand. Yeah, and he can't put a glove on when he got a cast. So he just duct tapes his ha- the, like the fleshy parts of his hand, which doesn't seem great, but I guess would kind of work if you're determined enough. I'm like, dude, go to the daggers, buy some Vicodin. Yeah, just do this shit, you fucking crybaby. Just go um, all the way in. Just go all the way in. But uh, this is the the end of second act breakup because uh, Chrissy's mad at both of them, so he's gonna leave. Yeah, he's and, all emo because he blames her for his arm getting broken, yes. his dreams being dashed and all that shit. She's like, well, I'm going back to Indiana, which she should have decided to do that the second she got off that bus and saw how that dude was living. But yes. if this is what it takes, fine, sure, I get it. But now she's in love. Again, and then all of this happened in less than a week. <laughs> yes, in like four days at <laughs> like this point. four days, she has moved, she has gone to California, fallen in love with somebody from the wrong side of the tracks, um, or the right side of the tracks. Uh, and did an ill I mean, advised. How do you go back? How do you go back to Indiana after you've met Corey Webster? Hey man, once you go Corey, you um, yeah, like, I got nothing. Um, uh, so but then he's like, I can't skate. But then he's like, I can skate. <laughs> you get a training. I'm gonna mon- skate. You get a training montage with I it's forget- a pretty good training montage i'm gonna give it credit it's a pretty good training montage i forgot what song plays during it though so it's not that good um is that is that not the animation song oh yeah that is in yeah yeah it's not a good yeah that's not a, a good the facing the demons one yeah no it's not a great song but it is good for this purpose yes it is uh i wonder what's first in animation animation like is one of those bands that like halfway through the entire lineup changed um, right and because the first lead singer's name is astrid plane which is a great name Astral plane, like astral plane. But anyway, yes. Um, sorry, I go off on animals and tangent again. <laughs> um, then they meet back up. You know, he goes back to race. Everyone's there racing, and then Chrissy decides halfway through her journey home, she has to go back to L.A. because she loves somebody, probably Corey. Um, How far do you think she got? I'm guessing that she probably got somewhere into Nevada before she decided she needed to go back. Because otherwise, there's no way she's getting back in time. She did not hit Oklahoma. Like no, definitely no, not. Definitely she was not. definitely still in the desert area. Yeah, because he has to hitch back. Uh, yeah, and gets back just in time for the again more good be- decisions from this girl. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm just a great decision maker. No one knows where I am. I'm going to hitchhike back to my skateboarding boyfriend and my punk brother. Someone will kill me. (laughs) One of these. Like there's literally a movie, like, like a movie theater, like, you know, uh, uh, marquee in this film that has the hitcher on it. Oh yeah. For the hitcher. Yeah. Oh, I watched the Come on. I watched the video on YouTube that went past the locations. Uh, now and mm-hmm. there's a very prominent Dianetics billboard in one scene in I mean that's just LA you yeah. can't escape that shit but but now it's just, it's just a straight up Scientology billboard yeah I believe it yeah, I mean, that's, that's hilarious the is, they, they got past the point of needing to say the quiet part 
Yeah. Now it's like, no, Scientology, motherfuckers. Come get it. Yes, yes, totally. Uh, but get those Thetans she, out of you. Yeah, get those Thetans. Yes, skate the Thetans away. Um, <laughs> there's a downhill. See, see, misses the beginning, but it shows up for the end. Uh, the downhill is ridiculous. Uh, it looks like you would die. The, the dude with a broken leg smoking a cigarette, he broke his leg. I believe it because a, again, that seemed like a thing where like the stunt performers would actually hurt themselves. Yeah, so that's a real dude with re- real broken leg, real paramedics, real cigarette. <laughs> I know. mean, look, you know, if you if you got injured for the movie and they shoot it, put that shit in the movie. If yeah, I totally. if I break my leg doing that for the movie and you get B roll of me getting patched up, that's content, baby. Put that in there. Word. Uh. I feel like the downhill is filmed pretty well because it'd be hard to film. Um, yeah, it's it's a little janky in yeah. the sense that like it's hard to tell how many people are actually doing this thing. It feels like people just kind of peel off at random. There's definitely a lot of good shots of guys going flying in weird ways, yes. which I do appreciate. I think it's a little less coherent than some of the other stuff that they've shot skate-wise in this movie, but like it's not bad. And I think that like, Yes, the ending is incredibly predictable, but like it is nonetheless, I think, pretty exciting for what they are actually pitching to the audience here. I do think it's hilarious that the skate race where you go 60 miles an hour ends with a ramp because in real life you would die. Oh, yeah. No, like if you're not slowing up at all, going off that ramp at 60 miles an hour, there's no way you would hit that mattress. You would go flying an extra 300 feet into the parking lot face first. That would be terrible. He lands on Chrissy. They both die at the end. No, just kidding. Yeah. Um, he wins the race, of course. Chrissy's there. They make out. And then Tommy Hook so shows up and finally has earned, Corey's earned respect. And they they shake You're hands. insane out there, bro. Insane out Whatever there, he bro. said, something along those lines. And yeah, if like, I was it's just Corey, like, you got my respect by being crazy. And if I was Corey, I'm like, that's great. How? Where's my fucking money? You broke yeah. my ramp. Are you going to pay my medical expenses? What the fuck? Yeah, and, and the ramp, too. Like, you know. God. No, fuck you, pay me. <laughs> I run your crew now. Is that is that the trade-off? Fine. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm your daddy now. Fine. Now Corey and the spiders. Great, I've inherited your crack house. Awesome. Did you get that Corey likes spiders because his last name's Webster? I didn't. <laughs> is the movie trying to make that connection? Well, he has that spider thing on his like on his board design okay and i like yeah, i know that yeah i think that was the i think that was it because like web okay yeah yeah no it's called subtext yeah yeah almost uh it's i do the closest like, thing this movie has to subtext i like the scene well he there's that really weird scene where he shows her his board design and it's a spider holding a naked woman it's a and really not good design i should say this is not design. his talent and and uh he says, "Oh, do you want to be held like that?" And, <laughs> I forgot and about, how did I forget about that line? Oh my god! And, and I was like, "Does does does Chrissy like low key want to dom him? <laughs> What's going Again, on?" Again, I think that I think the secret thing about Chrissy is that she is more hardcore than anyone else in the movie, despite her appearances. But the movie never quite makes good on that. Like she clearly. <laughs> knows enough and is way more street smart than the, than they kind of portray her as as the Indiana girl but like 
they never figure out a way to, to, to get that across all the way. It's just it's just that she's weird and makes bad decisions. You're gonna find out her ex boyfriend is Gigi Allen. Yeah, like it could. <laughs> for, for all I honestly, anything is believable with that character. She yes. clearly does not know how to make good decisions. Yes, and you know, hey, that fits the movie because not a lot of the good decisions yeah. are made making the movie. Uh, no, but and including the release of the film, um, because this movie bombed. You know, as you can yeah, probably you, imagine. You wrote a thing on here that says you literally can't find the box office numbers for it. And I was kind of like, that can't be true. And then I looked up. It's, yep. Yeah, no, no, no. There is so like when no that, evidence that this thing was ever in a theater. So when that happens, usually, what I've, what I've learned doing this podcast, when that happens, that means the film didn't get a wide release. Okay. Um, a simultaneous wide release. Because it's really hard to find concrete box office numbers on anything before the 70s. Right. Because they were rolled out. Yeah. So this is from a small company. It's by Charles Fry's. Yeah, it was it was distributed theatrically by Fry's Entertainment. Okay. So that's not a so like a studio. real studio barely ever touched this thing, if at and all. And it came out on video first by Virgin Vision. Okay. Um, yeah, and then later MGM, and I think, okay. and then now, and now Olive owns it. I don't know why. Uh, but so it got a, a, a very gradual release, I imagine. But it came out in the summer of '86, and to run down the films that were playing I'm that looking August, at this list and I am just ugh. like I am fanning myself. You're fucked. It this open this was none, not all these films opened in August but they these were in the top 20. Aliens Stand By Me, Top Gun, Karate Kid Part 2, Ruthless People, Armed and Dangerous, Back to School, Fearless People's Day Off, Flight of the Navigator and One Crazy Summer. You're fucked. Like even four four of those movies at least are the specific target audience for this movie. How many of these films did you see in the theater? Uh, let's see. I definitely okay. I was too young to see Aliens in the theater. I definitely saw Karate Kid Part Two. Yeah. I di- I I don't. You know, eighty six. I was only like five years oh, old at okay. this point. I I don't think I saw a lot of these, but I saw most of them within the span of the eighties. Yeah, I saw Karate Kid Part Two. Uh, um, Flight of the Navigator, and my dad took me to see One Crazy Summer. Um, uh, that's a choice. Yeah, well, that's not we. I did all my dad. Must I miss you, dad? Miss you, dad. Um, so, but I saw almost all of these films that year, or the following year on video. I saw One Crazy Summer, Flight of the Navigator, Ferris Bueller, Back to School, uh, Top Gun, and Stand by Me, all by '88. So, yeah. like. This movie must have got shellacked. And oh, I'm sure. Like that, that that is a death knell if ever there was one. And the critics fucking hated it. Um so I couldn't this movie came out in August. I could not find any reviews until September. Um and that's like, telling. One review was like, it will make you skateboard B-O-R-E-D. Um Ugh. I know. Another one by uh Lose the drone from the Baltimore Evening Sun. He's like, this will make you dizzy. West Side Story on skateboards. It's innocent enough, but it looks like one long video. A druggie's nightmare. That's that's a baffling comment, but sure. Okay. And my favorite review was a dude from the uh, Arizona Daily Star who seemed to be offended by the film. Um, in like what way? In as like, I think this dude likes skateboarding. 
Okay. See, that I could believe. If there yeah. was someone that genuinely liked skateboarding from this era, I feel like this thing, you would think it was the lamest movie you'd ever seen in your life. Because the, the, op- the lead for his review is the skateboarding movie Thrasher should cost one quarter to see. Not a shiny new quarter, a dirty doll one. The kind of quarter put into the slots of pornographic movie machines. Okay. It, come on. Like, I get what you're going for here. I, I have done some film criticism in my time. I'm Me not going to say that I am Roger Ebert or anything. But for God's sakes, that is the wrongest possible metaphor you could be drawing here. Yeah. This thing is squeaky fucking clean. Yeah. This thing is practically a Christian film. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that- you went the 100% in the wrong direction on that one. Yes. He, he, uh, he goes on, he's like, Instead of presenting an honest story about skateboarding, it stokes up ridiculous stereotypes that skateboarders are violent and dangerous and presents skateboarding as a destructive activity rather than a healthy outlet. Hardcore skaters will feel embarrassed, disgusted, and used. I'd say that part is probably closer to the He also hates the soundtrack. Uh, And then he said, one one, one funny part of the review says, this film could reach cult film status. (laughs) Uh, I'm here to tell you, 35 years into the future, Dave, you were right. Yes. Several moments, including hooks and decision over what earrings to wear, <laughs> are only amusing if they're not taken into context of the film. So yeah, he was right about that, but he, like, Dave was pissed, man. <laughs> I get it, man. It's uh, yeah. come from a place of loving a thing and seeing it portrayed in a in a stupid, stupid way. I get it. But like, yeah, if, I would, if I would have been old enough to watch Joysticks when Joysticks came out, I would have been really angry. You know, well, like, Joysticks is also just a much worse movie. Like it oh, is actually like just more, more like way more the dregs than okay, even well, this better, is. Better, okay, the, the Wizard. Um, the Wizard. Okay, not so good. here's my here's my secret shame. You like the Wizard? I will never defend the Wizard. Okay. <laughs> it's not a defensible movie. But when I saw it in 1990, I could not have been more hyped for that shit, dude. Dude, when when uh, Super Mario Brothers three came on the screen, me and my friend high fived. I lost my fucking mind yeah, when no, that game showed no. up. In that movie. I didn't even know that was going to show up in that movie, and I lost it. It's so bad. Um, it's so bad. The power, the power glove. It's so bad. Yes. And also kind of the movie. But nonetheless, also, I love The Wizard with my whole flawed heart. It is not a good movie, but I love it. I mean, The Wizard is ador- kind of like, th- I guess, kind of like this. They're both adorable. It's a, it's a lot like this. It is a yeah. lot like this. Um, I think this film is better than Rad. Um, yes, I would agree with that. I I watched Rad recently for this podcast. I watched it with uh, BMX Bandits. Okay. Um, I BMX would probably ba- even maybe put BMX Bandits over Rad. BMX Bandits is a good movie. Um, yeah. and It's, it's been du- a long time since I've seen it, but I, rem- I, I feel like I would like that movie way more now than I, I would Rad. BMX Bandits starts slow, but the second half of that movie is a safe sequence. And it's Brian Trichard Smith on his A game, and yeah. it's great. It's fun. It's 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 Australian Goonies. It's a good movie. Um, Rad is boring as fuck. The only good things about Rad are the send me an angel bike dance and uh, Ray Walston. God, send uh, me angel is a great fucking song. And Ray Walston's awesome. Uh, yeah, I love I love me some Ray Walston. I've been watching Night Court. Night he was in, he's in an episode of Night Court. Good episode. Oh, I've been. I've, that's weird. I also chose the pandemic to start rewatching Night Court. I'm most of the way through season three now. 
fuck. Then you remember the one of Ray Walston? Where Harry's Which gonna is, get Harry's gonna get disbarred. Yes, yes, I do remember yes. that one. Yes, and that's Ray Walston. Yes, great. He's great. Now. Anyway, let's, just, let's let's start on anyway, Night, Night Court. Court's great. Night Court let's is start, actually still pretty great. Stay tuned for my Night Court podcast talking about Harry. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Anyway, uh, but yeah, going back to this film, not Night Court. It is. It is ridiculously wholesome. It has. It is one of those films that I think now. I think watching it in the nineties would be terrible, but watching yeah. it now, it's gone back around. And it's cute. Oh yeah, it's it's a movie absolutely improved by distance from its its inception. Like yeah, yeah, the '90s skate scene would would consider this thing a fucking travesty. I think anyone looking back on it now would just look at it as incredibly adorable and quaint. I'd like to think that. I mean, especially okay. So I don't know if you've seen that Tony Hawk uh, documentary that recently came out. It was on HBO. No, I, I really want to. It's long. It it is long, but it actually justifies its length. I will say. But like you listen to the wistful way those guys talk about the 80s and everything that kind of went down during that time and, you know, kind of how they've grown. I bet just about any of those skaters that appeared in this movie would look at it now and think, ah, that was really dumb. I'm glad you yeah. did that. That was fun. And I, I feel like that's a recurring theme on my podcast <laughs> is yeah films that when they came out, they were OK or good, but they have or aged bad. well, like Axe and yes. Jackson. Uh, yeah, Action Jackson. That's another one that I will not call good, but I will. I do love way more than I probably should. Or the principal, or sure. Never Too Young to Die, um, the John Stamos movie. Uh, I think you and I talked about that yes, one at we one did. point. We did, yes. Um, or or Revenge of the, the Ninja trilogy. Um, right. Not the first one. The first one's still bad, but Revenge of the Ninja is. Still, it's a good movie, like legitimately good. And Ninja Three: The Domination, which people often talk about, is a batshit classic. That movie is fantastic. I talked about that a few months ago with uh, my friend Anthony and Norm um, on this podcast. You should check that one out if you haven't. That is a hilariously fun movie. Um, incredible! It is an incredible like piece of work. Yeah, this fun, good time, fun, fun for the whole family with ninjas. Now, if they were to combine them. Oh God! Imagine. I mean, that is two things from the '80s I loved, which oh. is skateboarding and white people appropriating ninjas. That was my favorite fucking shit back then. Imagine Miami connecting with skateboards. God, yes. Oh man. Oh, man. oh. And, and we have to go back, Alex. <laughs> I know we've yeah. lost so much. We lost so much. I'm become one of those like fucking you know like marble statue we must return accounts but just for fucking like 80s cheese and like ninja content during during the pandemic i have followed a few like 80s retro accounts because just like sometimes man i just i want to see a picture of gi joe yeah i just want to see a cool binder you You know know? like i just want to fucking i want to see someone wearing you know like fucking la gear yeah and i think I think that you you see that now also with like the whole Kate Bush thing. Sure. You know. Yeah, I mean, like Stranger Things is nothing if not just a deep mining of that vein. Like Yes. But it's also well written, well well written and well made. And they pick good songs. Like they, yeah. they pick good music for their show. Yeah, yeah. Better soundtrack than this film. It would have been hilarious if you would have like season five Stranger Things, yes, you let let the love begin. 
ran, they ran out of so money. Love begin and the fucking the animotion song no one's heard. <laughs> yeah, so any other animotion song. But anyway, I think we're, we're talking about animotion again. It's time to wrap yes, up. Yes, we're all going to keep coming back to this if we keep this up. Yes, anyway, Alex, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it as always. Um, no, I'm ha- was happy to do it. I was also just very happy to see this movie and come away smiling and feeling like, oh, I'm glad I watched that again because it would have broke my heart if if this thing actually just turned out to be unbearable. But it's not. I think it's adorable. No, it's a fun. It's a, it's a funner. But anyway, Alex, uh, I think people listening to this probably know, but in case they don't, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, let's see. I work on a thing called Next Lander. It is a podcast. It is streaming. It is video games, generally speaking. Uh, we uh, You can find our Patreon at nextlander.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitch, various other places. Uh, and I'm on Twitter, Alex underscore Navarro, if you want to see me occasionally. Just post and- clips from movies that I think are dumb, and that's about it these days. And if people want to hear you talk about movies more... Oh, yeah, that's right. I guess we are launching that thing, aren't we? We haven't started it yet, but we are, in fact, launching an as-yet-untitled watchcast uh, with uh, my my fellow castmates at Nextlander. Uh, We are going to be starting in July... And I am, we're going to kick off, we're, we're going to, it's going to be in everything. Like we're going to be talking about TV and movies and whatnot, but we're going to be kicking off with the movie Jaws. One that my coworker Brad has somehow never seen. So we're going to correct that wrong. Brad's, um, what do you, blind spots. Uh, he's got a lot. The man seen- loves video games. He's an encyclopedic knowledge of video games. He's just missed out on a lot of big movies. Yeah. Yeah. I know what happens, but I was also going to mention, aren't you doing that, 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 that Michael Mann thing? Oh yeah, there's that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that too. Waypoint yeah. Plus. If you're a subscriber over at uh, Waypoint Plus uh, over on Vice, uh, I do a monthly Michael Mann podcast with Rob Zachney and Dia Lassana, and we talk about the the oeuvre of Michael Mann. And we just did Heat. Uh, I believe we are doing The Insider next. So yeah, check that out. Yeah, and I'm not at all uh, upset that we both covered Manhunt at the same time. It's fine. Um... <laughs> Hey, it is a movie that deserves to be spoken about by anyone and everyone. Yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a big I'm a big man fan. That's my recurring joke on this podcast. Anyway, um, you can find me online on uh, Twitter at Lost Turntable, as usual, LostTurntable.com, which I occasionally update. My YouTube, Lost Turntable, which I sporadically update. And also on my other podcast, Alexander's Ragtime Band, about progressive rock music. I know. Um, this episode, the, as of this recording, I think the most recent episode that will be up, either right around this time, is going to be about Aphrodite's Child, which was Vangelis's prog rock band. Ooh, it's a. They have an album called Six Six Six. It's it's a thing. It's about no. It's, I want to. I want to know more about this. It's a good. It's a. It's a concept album about revelations. I'm it's, in. It's and it has the woman it has Irene Pappas. Um, from Guns of Navarone, um, orgasmically moaning Bible verses. I'm super in. It's a good. It's a gooder. Anyway, listen to that one if you're interested, everybody. Uh, but that'll do it for this week. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Until then, take care. Better believe us.